Can we just thank the Lord for our worship team and leading us well this morning? Super thankful for uh, just all the teams that uh, you know are serving on Sundays, and uh, whether it be as you trying to get into the parking lot or greeting you, or those that are downstairs with our uh, kids. And uh, man, what a week! I just want to add my thanks as well. Thanks to the many of you that were a part of that. Um, you know, I warned our, our teams this way, but uh, if you're sitting on something sticky, um, I cannot make any claims as to what that is. Um, we are a church that wants to use our facility and use our space, and so um, we had all these, a uh, bunch of the chairs were out. Um, this is the kind of like danger zone right here. So we, we were doing all sorts of fun stuff in here all, all week, and it was just uh, so good to see um, just so many little um, little faces running around uh, this place, and, uh, and it was fun that was had, as you uh, already witnessed and, uh, and saw. I'm excited to get into God's Word this morning, so if you have a copy of Scripture, I hope you do, uh, you can pull that out and uh, open up to the book of Hebrews. Um, if you don't have a copy with you, um, certainly uh, you might be able to find one on your uh, phone or device or something, that works, but we've also got copies underneath the seats, and so um, you're welcome to use one of ours and uh, make your way to the book of Hebrews. We're in a series with that. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that home uh, with you. Uh, that's our, our gift to you. Uh, as you're making your way there, um, I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I don't want to start, you know, some uh, turf wars or, uh, you know, kind of reveal too much allegiance. But um, if I was to ask you, you know, what airline you uh, most fly with, if you fly, I know not all of us like to fly. Some of us um, have no desire to fly. Um, some of us have flown way too much. But if you've, if you've flown, is there an airline that you tend to uh, pick or choose. I don't think there's any that are doing that great right now. Um, you know, flying, uh, the, the skies have become a whole lot less friendly over the last, like, 20 years, I think. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, the magic of flying is kind of done. You watch, like, f- movies from, you know, from days past, and, and it was this magical thing. Now it's like, it's, it's a whole mess. But uh, I uh, found myself uh, flying through Chicago a lot, and so um, I uh, was often using United. And um, one of the things that... Um, uh, that, uh, that was, for me, that uh, I would do is my role uh, in the last church that I served in down in North Carolina was I oversaw a lot of our uh, mission teams. And uh, our mission teams, um, you know, I got to fly with them and, and, and we traveled to several different countries. And so, um, so what happened was, is like, I'm not like this frequent flyer flying all the time like that, but I got to go on some of these longer trips and it was enough that I got status. And if you've ever had status... Um, that, uh, that makes all the difference, right? Like you get that free upgrade to that economy plus. I don't know how many inches it is, but it's enough that it makes a difference. I kind of have long legs. I have like a short torso, long legs. The rest of the sermon, you're not going to be looking at me trying to figure out. I also have really long arms too. So my, 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 uh, my height is, um, if I kind of put my arms out, it's like several inches longer. Like I have these really long, like kind of limbs. Okay. So just to distract you for the rest of the morning now, you're going to see that. But I like being in economy plus because those few extra inches make all the difference. And several years ago, Ago, the uh, United changed their system, and I have not had status since. Um, I, I think you have to fly like way more often than I was before. It didn't take very much to get it before. I wasn't flying that often. I had it. Now I never have it. And um, honestly, I don't fly that much, but when I, ha- when I do, I, I want it. And, and knowing that uh, the, the system um, is super helpful. Uh, knowing kind of what the rules and the regulations are. And, and when that change came, I mean, it meant everything for my travel experience. Now um, there's like, yeah, there's no chance I'm getting that status. This morning we're talking about a system 
And it's a system, far more consequence, far more uh, overarching impact on our lives uh, than the system of uh, traveler, frequent flyer, miles, and that whole thing, right? Like what makes a difference in a two, three, or five-hour flight um, is quite different when we're talking about a system that our entire life lives under. I don't know if you know it, but we are under uh, a system here today. And there's a system that the creator of the universe has put in place. And that system regulates some things. It means some things. It directs some things in our life. And uh, I don't know about you, but if I'm under a system, I kind of want to know the ins and outs of, like, what does this system mean? Uh, What does this not mean for me? How do I kind of navigate this system? Are there uh, any important things that that I should be aware of uh, with this system? The system we're talking about this morning is the covenant that God has put together. And it's his covenant with his people. We're calling this morning the better covenant because uh, there's actually been a couple of covenants that God has made with people. And after the time of Jesus, actually through the work of Jesus, there was a new covenant which was installed. And so whether you realize it or not, you're here today and you're under a system of the God Most High. You're under this covenant and it matters for our life. And so I don't know about you, if we're under a covenant, I want to know some things about it this morning. And what we're going to see is we're going to hear more and learn more about Jesus. We've been in this this series now for several weeks, and it's a letter written to some people that were discouraged, disheartened, in danger of walking away. And the author is trying to drive home the fact that, listen, Jesus is so much better than anything else that you might chase after or go after. And today, the prevailing truth that we're going to see this morning is that Jesus is a better high priest. That's a point he's been building out and will continue to build out. We're actually going to spend more time on that next week. But more than that, he's our mediator of a better covenant. Jesus is this mediator of this better covenant, this system that we are under uh, this morning. And so the passage that we're looking at, it's um, like we've seen many times before in Hebrews. It's got uh, quite a bit going on, but uh, you guys are smart, and I know we can get through it, and we're going to learn it and see it. And so um, I believe God has some real truth for us this morning. Before we go any further, can I just pray that God would teach us now as we uh, open his word together and study it um, in this place. Uh, God, we give you thanks for... Uh, this book that we hold in our hands. And God, it's not just a book like any other book. It's, it's uh, God, it's your written word for us. And God, we want to hear from you in this place this morning. God, we need to hear from you. Uh, without your word, God, without the revelation that you've given us here, we wouldn't know about this covenant. We wouldn't know about the hope that's found in you. And so, God, thank you for revealing yourself through your word. And I just pray as we open it, God, that you would illuminate our understanding, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, or give us minds to comprehend what you would have us. And God, beyond that, that we would have hearts that want to apply and live out the truth of what we see here this morning. And so, God, would you guide our time now as we uh, look at your word here. Spirit, we ask that you would teach us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're in Hebrews. We're in chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Let me read the first several verses together, and this is where we're going to start. It says this. It says, now the point in which we are saying is this. Let me just kind of pause there if I could. Uh, this is a summary statement. Like it's, it's been building up to this point. 
right? Sometimes I say that, like I share that story because sometimes you ask, you're like, why did he share that story? I share that story to tell you this, right? Or I said all of that so that you could get this. That's kind of what he's saying. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. Here's the big point. We should want to hear this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were here on, or if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a, a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it has enacted on better promises. For if that covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. All right, here's the first truth that we're going to see this morning. It's about Jesus, and it's this. It's that Jesus is our better high priest, okay? Our better high priest. Now, we've sort of skirted around this truth, and we're kind of getting to it a little bit this morning. But just so you know, we're going to build this out even more next week, okay? He's going to go more into this. So we're going to kind of touch the surface. There's a few unique points that he makes about Jesus' priesthood here. But if you were here last week, we learned all about this guy, Melchizedek. Right? Hopefully you can answer the question, who is Melchizedek? Priests get people to God. Melchizedek was a priest. Jesus is like Melchizedek in that he was a priest and a king. And he's eternal in his position of this priesthood. So he says this. He says, the point in which we are saying is this. We have such a high priest. It's like this. We have this great high priest, this, this awesome high priest in Jesus and he's the one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He's a better high priest. And the word shows us how he's a, high, a better high priest. The first thing we see is that he's better because he has a better position. A better position. We see that right in verse 1. A better position. Right? We have a high priest who is, what's his position? Well, he's seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. A throne of majesty is a way of saying God on high. God of the universe, the creator God, the only God, the true God. He's at the right hand in heaven. You know, if I was to come over to your house and we were to have dinner together, there's a place of honor that's probably uh, present in your house. If we maybe begin in the living room or sit down for a minute, uh, maybe you've got your chair I have a chair. I like my, my kind of spot. And so uh, if I was to give you my chair, then that would be a place of honor in our uh, living room. Maybe you have a place like that. But then if we move to the dining room, um, chances are you might sit at the head of the table. What would be the place of honor that you would then give to your guest? For us, it would be at the other end of the table, right? That head is kind of the, the head of or the place of honor there in our table. 
And that wasn't the case kind of back when this was written. If you were to put somebody on the opposite end of the table, they would try and kind of go through their mind, like, how did I uh, upset this person, right? Why did they put me all the way down here? That was the place of dishonor or the place of uh, kind of um, that you put the people that, that weren't all that special or weren't all that interesting. If you had a guest of honor coming to your house, the place that you would put them would be right there next to you, and especially if they were the, the most highest honor at the right. That's the highest place of honor in the culture here. And so what do we see? We see Jesus where? At the right hand in heaven at the th- of the throne of majesty. He's in the place of honor, of prominence, of position. He's worthy of it. He is this high priest. He is the king. And so he is at the right hand of the throne of majesty. So that's part of his position. He's at the right hand in the place of honor. But the second thing that we see in his position is that he's what? Read it there. You have a copy of one who is, what does it say? One who is, you guys see this, right? (laughs) Verse one, it says, we are saying now that we have such a high priest, one who is, there we go. All right, we're in it. All right, there's going to be more of that. So just kind of get going, okay? Um, This is a participation uh, kind of time. So one who is seated. So he's not standing, he's not kneeling, he's uh, he's not laying down, he is seated. And if you were with us several weeks ago at Easter, I think we actually looked at a verse in Hebrews that says that he sat down. And when he's seated, it's communicating something. It doesn't mean that he needs a breather. He's not trying to take a rest. What he's doing is it's a place, that what it communicates is that the job is finished. When you finish the job, what do you do? You sit down. And so he's seated next to the Father because the job is complete. And here's the thing, kind of to get a running start at this, God set up this whole temple system. When he called people to himself, he led out. He called to himself Abraham, and he gave this promise to Abraham, and then he repeated the promise to his son Isaac, and then again to his son Jacob. And this people was uh, taken captive in Egypt and grew into this great nation, and he used Moses to lead the people out of captivity And when he brought them out of captivity, he gave them a new system. He gave them a set of regulations and rules and and direction for them. There was laws and there was sacrifices that need to be made. And there was this whole Levitical system of how sin was atoned for. I think you and I are keenly aware. We actually looked at that last week, right? Against the law, all of us fall short. There's not one person who can stand against the perfection of God. And so God and his care and his love for his people, he gave a way that there might be forgiveness of sins, that he could uh, be forgiven. And so there was all these, uh, these, these sacrifices that were given. If you read the book of Leviticus, uh, you'll see that there was, you know, this grain was given for this, and then this animal was sacrificed for this, and you had to kind of do all of these things. But for centuries, for generations and generations, there was this religious system that was in place. This is the old covenant. This is the covenant that God established. And the thing is, is that uh, Jesus came to, uh, not just to abolish, but to fulfill this covenant. And he did this by offering the ultimate sacrifice, his own life. See, Jesus was sinless and like a perfect spotted lamb, except even more because he's the son of God, both God and man. He lived perfectly and he gave up his life on a cross. And when he gave up his life, that was what he came to do. Do you remember what the last thing Jesus said on the cross was? 
I don't want you to mess this up, so let me tell you. Um, He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That was the last thing that he said. And then he breathed his last, and he died there on the cross. Do you know what the second to last thing that he said before that was? He says, it is what? Finished. It's finished. What's finished? Well, the sacrificial system for one. The final sacrifice has just been made. There is no need for more sacrifice because the perfect sacrifice was just given. So it was sacrifice. It was actually the end of religion as we knew it, as we know it. There was this regulations and rules and all these requirements and all of that. And Jesus, on that moment, he's declaring, he's like, it is all finished. I have fulfilled it all here in this moment in my death by my work here on this cross. And see, that is why he then was seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven is because the job was accomplished. That is why Jesus came. And this is the place that we see Jesus, or as he referred to himself, the Son of Man. Let me show you a few verses. I'm just going to kind of rattle these off. You can jot the references if you want, but you certainly don't have to. It's Mark 14, 62. It says, And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. In Luke twenty-two sixty-nine, 69, he says, But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of power in God. Ephesians 1, 20, That he worked in Christ, and when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Colossians 3, 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, what? Seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 12, we're going to come to this in a few weeks, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, right? The ultimate sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then this picture that John had of the future yet to come, Revelation 4, 2, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Every picture that we have of Jesus in heaven, he is seated. Actually, that's not true. There's one picture that we have where he's not seated. Do you know what it is? This is just kind of a fun fact. It is actually when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed. He had this vision, and the clouds opened up before him, and he said, I see there in the clouds the Son of Man standing there. What a picture that Jesus got up off of his throne and he stood for his son, his child that was giving his life in testimony to who he was. That's the only time that we see Jesus standing. Other than that, every other picture we have of Jesus in heaven, he's seated. Why? Because there's nothing left to do as it relates to the sacrificial system. He came and accomplished it all in his death. And so his position is better. No high priest ever did that before. And so when we talk about a high priest, it's like, well, he has a better position. He's at, seated at the right hand of the Father in this place of honor because of what he's accomplished. Not only does he have a better position, but he also has a better reality, a better reality. It goes on in verse 2. It says, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Again, for centuries, for generations, the people of God worshipped in what was known as the tabernacle. 
It was a tent. It was made of, of, uh, of wood and animal, animal skin, right? cloths, different, different uh, utensils that had been put together. Uh, God, he laid this all out and he gave them uh, the prescription for what he wanted them to uh, do. You see, after God led the people out of Egypt, we don't often like kind of put ourselves back, but put yourselves there. Like God just led this people out, did all these miracles. He parted the Red Sea and then drowned their enemies behind them. Then they, they go out and they're beyond. And he's like, now what? He's like, well, I want you to worship me. Right? He led them to that mountain and he gave the law to Moses. But then not just the Ten Commandments, which is what we often think of, but he gave them the sacrificial system. And he says, here's what you're to do. And it was very precise. It had all the measurements and all the materials and everything was laid out. He had all of this in place. So the, the Jewish people did not kind of come up with this on their own. God prescribed it to them. And then for centuries, this is how they would worship. They would gather at this tent and they would do all the things that God had told them to do. It was this tabernacle. And everywhere that they went, they would set up the tabernacle. And so they were moving for 40 years. They were wandering in the wilderness. And so they'd arrive at a place. They'd get it all out. they set it up. Our church began with set up and tear down. We, we met at Memorial High School when we first launched this church before we bought this building. Some of you are like, we're, we're, just so you know, we're only like, we're not even six years old as a church, okay? So um, we felt like we were kind of, you know, being very biblical in that because that's what the first, you know, the, the people of God were doing. They were traveling, they're setting up, tearing down, all of that, right? So we're kind of following in their, their footsteps. But everywhere they would go, they had their setup team and they had their teardown team. Those were the days, we don't miss that. Uh, but then they would move it and they'd tear it down, go to somewhere else, and God gave them all of this. This is a picture of what the tabernacle looks like. Uh, it was, again, kind of surrounded. There was this court. Uh, kind of made by rods and poles and, and uh, all of the um, animal skins that would kind of line it. And then there was the place where God's presence was there in those holy places. And only the priest would go in and then that holy of holies, only the high priest. And there were certain times and certain ways and certain regulations. It had to be just right. right? That was what God had kind of put into place. This was the tent where the priests were doing their ministry and it says here, it says that a minister, um, that, that Jesus was a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up. So that's a reference back to this tent. This is the tent where it was. And so they, they moved this all over the place. Uh, I had an opportunity when I was in Israel. Um, we, uh, Ellie and I, my daughter, we got there a day early and got to go to a unique site that um, not a lot of people uh, get to visit because it's in a not as safe area of Israel. Thanks for all your prayers while we were there. God uh, heard them, got us back safe. But we went to Shiloh. And uh, Shiloh is uh, in the West Bank, and um, there's a picture here of Shiloh. Um, it doesn't look like much. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's in a remote area of, of, uh, of Israel, um, but it's very central uh, in the nation. And the reason was is that this is the place, I don't know if you know this, but Shiloh is the place that the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle, it's where the Ark of the Covenant stayed longer than any other place longer than it was ever in the temple, uh, longer than it was you know, part of the wanderings, but this is the place. And so that little kind of area of rocks that's cleared out there, they've measured it, and that's like the flattest area here near Shiloh, and it actually matches the size and dimensions of the tabernacle that were given in Scripture. And so the understanding is that this is probably the place that the tabernacle was set up. And it's central, it's remote, so that it wasn't, you know, a little bit protected. It was hard to kind of get to. But the people of God would, several times a year, they would travel there, all of them, all the tribes, all of them would gather here in this place. And so for, again, hundreds of years, 
For a long time, this is where the people of God worship there at the tent. King David, he was dwelling in his home in Jerusalem, and he said to the Lord, he's like, it's not right that I have this great palace, right? He's living in luxury. He has this, this great uh, palace, but, but you, God, have this tent that's out in the wilderness. Like Shiloh's not right next door to Jerusalem. They had to travel a bit, and he wanted to build him a house. He's like, I want to build you a real temple, and what did God tell him? He said, well, you're a man of war, and so uh, I'm going to have your son do it, Solomon. But this is the place that the people of God would worship, and this is the place that the tent, as we saw, that it looked like. This is what, uh, this is what they were doing here. And here's the thing. The point of all that is to say this. I don't think God was in too much of a hurry, right? He wanted to do it in his timing and in the right way. He had plans for that temple, right? And it was so beautiful. It was so magnificent, fine stones, all these precious metals, the finest woodworkers and, and linen makers and whatever they were doing. Like they, they put all of the best into it, but he wasn't in a hurry to do it because what was it? It was just a placeholder for the real thing, right? Even when that temple was in place, was that really the place that God's presence ultimately was? Well, he chose to be there, but that was something that God prescribed and then it was built by men as, as men were directed. And so this was just a placeholder. Look back at the text. Look at verse two again. With all of that in mind, now read this again. Jesus is a better high priest. He's a minister in the holy places. So a better reality in the true tent that the Lord set up, not men. And so he's, he's doing his ministry in the spiritual reality. Right, The realest place that there is, this is the place that, that Jesus is actively working here. And it says, every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifice. Thus, it is necessary for the priest also to have something that he can offer. And so here in this place, there was an offering being made by Jesus. It was the real place, the true place that ultimately God was intending and preparing for here. This was just a... Uh, an image of what was to come. And so it's the true tent with a true sacrifice, right? For all those years, they brought these, the blood of animals and goats, doves and, and, and many others. All of that was a foreshadow looking forward to the true sacrifice of Jesus giving up. It says that the priests have to have something to offer. What was it that Jesus offered? He offered himself. It was his blood that was shed. It was his body which was pierced and broken for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, it says that they all serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. See, this is a better reality, right? If you have the real thing, you don't need a shadow or a copy of it. I lived in Chicago. That's where I went to school. And if you walk the streets, there's tables you can find. If you want to find some cheap Oakleys, right, or some cheap Rolex watches, a cheap Gucci purse, like you can find those things all over Chicago, Here's a like, spoiler alert. They're not real, all right? Like if you ever can find something for like a Rolex for, you know, for way cheap or you get some, some Oakleys for like 20 bucks or something, um, it's not real, all right? Like you're not gonna get some Ray-Bans, uh, you know, for, for $10. That's not gonna happen. But on the streets of Chicago, you sure can. There's lots of places you can go. In addition to that, you can also find, and, and this is like a little dated, we didn't have streaming services when I went to, uh, went to college, okay? We, had, we did have DVDs. I know some of you went when... Like, I don't know, they didn't even have that, okay? So I know, like, I feel like some young, you know, I tell my kids that we used to, like, Netflix used to mail you DVDs. They're like, you know, like, 
what? Like, <laughs> why didn't you just stream it? Like, you couldn't. That, that was impossible. But you could get DVDs on the streets, and you could get DVDs of movies that were still in the theaters. And I had a buddy one time that asked me, he's like, hey, you want to watch this movie? I just got this movie. And I was like, sure, yeah, it sounds good. I've been wanting to see that. I had no idea it was still in the theaters. It wasn't out yet. He had bought this thing from the guy on the streets. I didn't know that. And so we sat down to watch this thing, and all of a sudden, like, the screen starts kind of moving. And I'm like, wait a second, where'd you get this thing? And he's like, oh, I bought it from them. I'm like, I'm like, no, dude, first off, that's illegal. Like, you can't do that. Secondly, look at the quality of this. There's some guy in a movie theater with a video camera, like a camcorder, Right, And he's like recording, trying to stay as still as he can, but hide it from everyone around. The audio was terrible. The picture was terrible. And so we didn't even watch. I'm like, I can't do this. First, I just feel like this is wrong. Right, we got to stop doing this. And so, But here's the thing. When that movie comes out on DVD, that guy probably threw that piece in the garbage. Right, There was nothing that he needed that anymore for anymore. Right? Why? Because he had the real thing. You don't need a shadow or a copy. You don't need some knockoff uh, imitation of the real thing. And what he's saying here is that this, that this whole sacrificial system, it was only this kind of knockoff, this, this shadow, this copy. It was an imitation of what yet was to come. And when the real thing came, the real thing being Jesus, the real sacrifice in the real place, a better reality came, the old was no longer needed. In fact, why would you even want that? Right? Why would you want to jump through all those hoops? Why would you want to do all those things? Why don't we just go to Jesus? He's going to get us straight there. Let's go to him. It says, when Jesus was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. This is the third thing. It's a, uh, um, or sorry, a true, uh, true tent, true sacrifice, true authority. The Lord is the one who set it up, verse two. The Lord is the one who gave instructions to Moses and so it wasn't just men setting this up. This is something that God had put in place. It was a truer authority. So it's a better, a better position, a better reality, and a better covenant. That's the third thing, a better covenant. He continues on, verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old covenant as he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. The new covenant has better promises that it's made of. Do you know the difference between a contract and a covenant? We have a lot of contracts around here. We sign contracts like they're like just sort of willy-nilly, right? Like how many of us, we, you download some new software, you go to some new website, like we're accepting, I don't even know what cookies are. I'm accepting them all the time. I'm like, give me those cookies, right? Like I'm, I'm just like, I don't even understand what's happening. You download something, it's like, there's all these things. We can't scroll through that thing fast enough. We're just reading it. We're like, yep, I'll do that. You know, I don't know what I just told, told them that I, they would have permission to do, but I, I get it because I want it, right? We, we sign contracts all the time and that, that's a contract, you just said that it was okay, and you just made an agreement with that company, right? We sign contracts with each other. You sell a house, you sell a car, you do some of that. There's contracts that are made, right? I promise I'm going to pay this back. I promise that I'm going to do what I do. And there's some terms that kind of regulate the contract. Well, God didn't put together a contract with his people. He set up a covenant. It's based on relationship. It's based on the person, and so what he did is he put in place and he, he developed what this old covenant was. He said, listen, he said to my people, he says, if you do this, then I will be faithful and I will do this. This is the old covenant. And there were some requirements of them. There's requirements that were given. 
uh, Exodus 19, verse 5, is where we see this, this covenant being made. It wasn't a contract, it was a covenant, but there was some expectations on both parties. Exodus 19, 5 says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for the earth is mine. If you obey and keep my covenant. This is the uh, expectation. And what do the people do? Well, we just were in uh, the book of Daniel not too long ago. Daniel was written to people that were exiled. Why were they exiled? Because they didn't listen. And Jesus, um, and, and he, God as he's working, right? Like he, he put them uh, out from the place that he had promised them because they failed to keep their end of the bargain. They started worshiping foreign gods and, and setting up foreign idols and doing all of this. And so he said, listen, you're not obeying me. You're not keeping my covenant. And so he, he let them uh, be overtaken by these foreign uh, nations. And so this is the old covenant. You wanna know what the new covenant is? This is the covenant that Jesus brings. It says that it's a more excellent than the old covenant. He mediates it's better. Why? Because it's enacted on better promises. Do you know what the better promise is of the new covenant? The better promise is, is that if you believe in me, that I will be faithful to you no matter what. No matter what. Like there is nothing that can break this. This is a one-sided agreement. This is based on me. Jesus put this in place. This is the new covenant in his blood. And so it's not, it doesn't look the same. It's very much more on him and not just on both parties here. And that's what he's getting at here. And this is what was promised by uh, God long before he put it in place. And that's where we go next is we, we're gonna see that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. He's the mediator. He's the go-between. He represents God to us and he represents us to God a priest gets people to God. A mediator is someone who is, is working this covenant out. And so we see here, let's get a running started at beginning in verse uh, 6. Let's, we just read this. Let's read it again. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much better and more excellent than the old. As the covenant, he mediates is better, since it is enacted on by better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. He's like, there were so many problems with that covenant. It didn't work out. It wasn't right. And so there was a need for another covenant. Verse 8, he finds fault with them when he says, these are the faults of the old covenant. This is from Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the prophecy of the Lord given to God's people while they were in exile. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, Okay, that's the old covenant. There's a new covenant coming, a better covenant. On the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, right? They failed. They didn't do it. They didn't keep all the laws. They started worshiping these other gods. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, right? He put them out. He put them away. And for generations, they were away from the land that God had given them. He showed no concern for them. Does that mean he didn't care for them at all? No, but it meant that he, he was enacting his righteous judgment on them. But verse 10, for this is the covenant I will make. This is the new covenant with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God they will be my people. They shall not teach 
each one his neighbor and to each other saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, no longer needed. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. This is the better covenant. What I want to do with the just few minutes that we have left, I just want to give you a few things about this new covenant, right? This is the new covenant. We need to understand, I said, the system that we're under. If we're under this new covenant, well, what's the new covenant all about? Let me tell you some good news here. There's lots of good news in the new covenant. The new covenant is for all people. It's for all people. Everyone is invited into this new covenant. Now notice it began with the people of God. Right? It says, I will establish my new covenant, verse uh, 8, with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Right? He says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. But this is where it began. Praise the Lord that it didn't stay just with them. Uh, maybe you are of Jewish descent, but I think it's safe to say most of us are not. Most of us would call it, fall under that category of Gentiles. But this was a promise enacted way, way, way before there was even a people of God. This was the promise that was given to Abraham. He said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. God was promising that through his people, this is the fulfillment of this. And so this new covenant is not just for the house of Judah, not just for the house of Israel. It is for everyone, but it comes through God's chosen people, the Jewish people. And so that's the first thing about this new covenant is it is for all people. The second thing is this, is that it is written on the heart. Where was the first covenant written down? It was on stone tablets, right? Tablets of stone. Uh, the first ones, God chiseled out, kind of wrote with his uh, quote-unquote finger, right, and gave these tablets to Moses. Well, Moses got down, saw the people of God sinning against God. He's like, I've been gone 15 minutes, right? You already made an idol? Like, you didn't think I was coming back? And so he got so angry, he like smashed the title, the, the, the tablets. Well, he goes back up. The second time, God made him chisel it out, right? He had to carve it out. And so that's where the first law was written. It was written on these, these tablets of stone. That was one of the things, we're going to get to this next week, but the tablets of stone was one of the things that was carried around in that Ark of the Covenant. You know, that special room in the tabernacle? Well, that was where the tablets of stone were as a reminder that God had written his law down for people to know. Lest you forget those 10 commandments, the big 10. But this is not like that. The new covenant is written on where? Our hearts. What does it say there? It says, I will put the law into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. You know, sometimes people come in and maybe you haven't been in church in a while. Maybe you've never been in church. And you come in and you're like, man, these people seem really into this, right? We were just singing a while ago and we're lifting hands and, and nodding and singing out loud and shouting together and clapping and all of that. And you're like, man, people are pretty into this. You wanna know why? Wanna know why we're into this? Is because God has written this on our hearts, we know the living God. We know a better covenant. And it's, it's something that is so intense. Like we, we can't even describe it. Like it's, it's, it's there. We, we feel it in our soul. We know that this is what we were made for. And so it flows out as we worship. That's where true worship comes from. 
is it's been written onto our hearts. And so it's not some prescribed thing that we're just trying to follow a set of rules and regulations kind of externally, but rather it's something that God is doing in us and then through us, and he's writing it on the hearts. This is the new covenant, not written on stone. It's written on the heart. Third, we see this, that it's rooted in relationship. What does God say there at the end of verse 10? He says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Right? They're my people. Those are my children. Right? That's my family. God claims us as his own. If you are in Christ, you are his son or you are his daughter, and you have been brought into the family of God, and he is your God. See, there was such an impersonal relationship with God's before this, right? You'd go to said temple, you'd offer said sacrifice, you'd kind of see said, you know, idol that would you just carve like the other day, right? You, if you stopped by and saw it being made, now you're worshiping it. And there was this impersonal relationship, so different is the relationship that God had is that he is our God. He will be your God. There is this relationship there. See, Hebrews is all about kind of down with religion, down with the regulations, down with all of these rules, up on relationship. You know God. And that's what it says is that it's not just brother teaching brother or one another teaching another, and this is how you know God. It's like they will know me. If you know Jesus, you know God. Like that is the reality of, of what Jesus has done as the mediator. And so he is the exact image, the exact representation of God himself. He is fully God. And so to know Jesus is to know God. It's rooted in this relationship. Number four, this new covenant is able to fully forgive. Fully forgive. See, there was a keen reminder of the penalty of sin. I've said before, and I apologize for repeating myself, but some of you weren't here, so, and if you were, just pretend like you haven't heard this before. But we're so removed from um, the, the process of, of processing meat, right? We go and we buy meat, and it's already packaged, and it looks nice, and it's all like, they even make it look kind of pretty. Well, at one point, that was a living creature, right? It, it had blood in it. Like, the blood was drained. The thing was killed. If you don't know this, then, like, you know, this is kind of the reality. Like, but, but, but I think there was such a, a more acquaintance with that. And then part of that was then tied to their worship, right? They had to go and they had to take a living creature and sacrifice it. The blood was spilled. Why? Because of their sin. They watched the penalty be enacted on something else. Somebody else had to take the fall for it. God had set up this system where the animal's life was given in place of their own. Together as a people, they would gather on that day of atonement, right? And the sacrifice was made once a year. They had to return to the temple and they had to sacrifice together for the atonement of sin as a people. And every year they had to do this. Every year there was an expiration date to that thing. It has, next year, you gotta do it again. You gotta do it again. Why? Because there's been more sin and more forgiveness is needed, right? More penalty has been enacted. But what does it say here? What does it say about the new covenant? It says, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The amazing thing about God, he knows everything, right? So does it mean that he doesn't know your sin? No, he's well aware of your sin. And all of us, I mean, you know your sin better than anyone else. I mean, who, who in this room could put their hand up and say you would feel confident with, with your darkest sin or the thing, maybe even this week that you did, if we were to put it up on the screen, let everybody see, when we'd be mortified, the thoughts that we think, the things that we do, the things that you know, we've done. 
Who in this room could stand before that? God knows all of that. He knows everything that you've ever done. And what he said is he says, my blood pays the price for your sin. And he chooses not to remember it. He puts it off. He chooses not to remember your iniquities anymore. You are fully forgiven if you are in Christ. This is the promise of the new covenant. Do you know this? That your standing before God is not regulated by all of the rules that you keep, your ability to keep 90% or 80% of what it is. Your standing before Christ is found in this only in embracing the finished work of Christ by faith. That is your standing before God, embracing the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross by faith. That is the place for your standing before God. If you believe in Jesus and his accomplished work, then you are forgiven. He has chosen to not remember your sins anymore. He has put them off. And so he is able in the new covenant to forgive fully not to like repeat, not to go back again, not to do this all over again, but he is forgiving. And finally, it's for all of eternity. For all of eternity. He says, I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Right? At no point in any time in the future will he re-sacrifice Jesus? Will he re-sacrifice you? Will he... Bring this back up again. He is putting them off for all of time. This is the new covenant that has been mediated by Jesus, our high priest. And so listen, church, the number one thing and how we're gonna apply this today is we are gonna respond to that. I believe that this chapter is in here to get our eyes off of us, off of our inadequacy, our inability to keep the law, our inability to, to perform the religious duties necessary and just to know that he has done it. Again, your standing before God is found only in this, in embracing the accomplished, finished work of Jesus by faith. There is nothing that you can do to add to it. There's nothing you can do to take it away. Jesus wants this relationship with you. He wants to do this work in your heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you Jesus, we thank you for being our mediator. God, you mediate this covenant. It's based in your promises. God, your faithfulness. Lord, we can look to you and we can trust in you and you alone. God, thank you for the way that you have worked on our behalf. Lord, that you have made a way that we might find salvation and we might find life in you. And so, God, today we are just in awe. God, we are encouraged. God, we are humbled by the truth of what you have done. God, the reality of what you are doing here in this place. And so, God, we look to you. We give you praise. We give you thanks for who you are, Lord, and the way that you have worked. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this gift that we do not deserve. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.